Sherm Chester and Sam Bruno on this edition of the Seaco Sports Forum. And today, that's kind of a, a, a free agenda, Sam. Let's uh, let's take and start off uh, with our, our local scene. And uh, why don't we talk about how the local teams here in the Seacoast area are doing in particular, obviously, the Blue Hawks. Sure. Let's talk. Uh, let's start off with baseball, Sherm. Um, uh, the, the baseball squad is uh, coming down to the home stretch right now. The Blue Hawks uh, at uh, on this day currently at nine and four for Bruce Joyce, and uh, they they currently sit in sixth spot. Uh, the top dog is Portsmouth High at fourteen and zero, uh, undefeated for the Clippers right now. Uh, the Blue Hawks are going to wrap wrap up their season on May twenty seventh when they go to Concord to take on the Crimson Tide. So, again, playoffs in the picture. Uh, for those trying to figure out uh, slots and things like that, uh, the NHIAA still uses the 70% rule. So they will take 70% of the number of teams in that division. So it looks like it's probably going to be around 13 or 14 teams with the number one team getting a buy. So if you're trying to project ahead of uh, who's going to host and who's going to go on the road in the first round, Still a little too early. There's still uh, two or three games to wrap up in the week. Mm-hmm. And they've had some standout pitching. Uh, I know uh, Winnicott and Portsmouth have two uh, real star pitchers there. And uh, do they have anything the, uh, on, on them at all that you've read? Well, uh, young Mr. Ferris for the Blue Hawks. Uh, a lot written about him. Uh, he's been a standout. And certainly uh, uh, when it comes down to those big games down the stretch, it's all about pitching at the high school level. Oh, yeah. Amen to that. I noticed that I was telling you about this article I read from Brandon Brown in the uh, Seacoast uh, News that uh, from the Portsmouth Herald, he uh, lists 18 standout players of the Seacoast. And I'm not going to go through the article, obviously, but uh, give uh, due to these kids he's brought out in it, like Wesley Alfonso from Spalding, who's a designated hitter, Connor Bryant from Spalding, a senior pitcher, Damon Chase, senior pitcher for the Clippers, Portsmouth, uh, Henry Dimmerling from Marshwood. He's the catcher, and he's only a junior. Bowden Driscoll, he's from Portsmouth. He's a junior pitcher. Uh, Sam Groden from St. Thomas Aquinas, pitcher, center fielder. Uh, Brody Gullison from York. He is a second baseman. Zach Ferris is in that group. And, of course, he's a senior and a pitcher for the Blue Hawks and doing super. Jake Fredericks from Winnicott. He's a third baseman for the Warriors. Cam Moran, I'm going to pronounce that way. It could be Moran uh, from Newmarket. He's their catcher. And uh, from Exeter, second baseman Ryan Morgado is on the list. Dover sophomore catcher Jacob Mangum and uh, Jay Pinsonell, pitcher for the Winnicott Warriors <laughs> and a friend of ours. Uh, uh, you know, he's you can tell he's a proud papa. That that, that boy is got uh, an arm. And a couple others that are on that list: Josh Gammon, Spalding. He's a pitcher outfielder, and uh, Cam. Sengenberger from Oyster River. He is only a freshman and he's a first baseman and pitcher. So uh, did I leave anybody out? There's a couple more here. I got to just, I'll include the list. Zach Stacy, Trape Academy, junior catcher, David Williams Dover, senior outfielder, and uh, rounding it out, Graham Willower of Newmarket, a freshman pitcher. So 18 kids that are standing out in both Division One and Division Two 
baseball here in the Seacoast. When the playoffs come around, our eyes will be on the Seacoast teams, uh, Portsmouth, Winnicott, and Exeter. Uh, they'll be in the mix. They'll be in the mix when we get to the final four, I think. And and uh, let's uh, go to the other side, the softball team, uh, Exeter Blue Hawks. Wow, what a race this is turning out to be, Sherm, with uh, undefeated Concord at 12-0, and 0, but the Blue Hawks right there at 13-1. and 1. So it's going to be a race for the top seed. And uh, all eyes are turning to May 27th. That will be in Exeter. That will be at Exeter High when Concord comes to Exeter to take on the Blue Hawks. So that game will probably be for the top seed in uh, Division One softball. That is going to be a that's going to be a slobber knocker, to use a phrase I love to use. <laughs> and you know, Kristen Morissette has had a team that just keeps reloading. You know, and that's what's uh, really kind of impressive. Uh, isn't dependent upon just a, a few. I mean, that whole team is loaded. So, right, right. Had a, have a championship over Winnicott a couple of years ago, and certainly would like to see if they could get into that final spot one more time. And then the lacrosse team for the guys, the Blue Hawk guys, uh, keeps rolling on oh. too. So, tell us about that. Again, you know, you've got Blue, you've got Bishop Girton at number one at thirteen and one, but. The Blue Hawk boys lacrosse team at 13 and one right there as well. And I, I don't think a lot of people thought that that team was going to be there uh, with a new head coach and a new system this year. But uh, they're playing great right now. Uh, Pinkerton and Nashua South and Pinkerton are also rounding out the top four right there. And the Blue Hawk boys lacrosse team coming into their final week of the season. And they will close out their match at Concord on May 26th. So, uh, and again, remember that the finals and semifinals, let me just double check, the finals and semifinals in boys division one lacrosse will be at Bill Ball Stadium this year. So again, uh, that would certainly be an advantage for the Blue Hawks uh, if they were to make the final four. Girls, let's go to the girls lacrosse. Girls, the Blue Hawks are right in the middle of the pack right now. They're at eight and five. Uh, they have a couple more games to go, and they'll wrap up on May 26th at Londonderry. Uh, certainly Bishop Girton at 12-0-1 right now uh, will lead the league there. Bedford at 12-1 and uh, right behind them. So, uh, again, the Girton lacrosse program, everybody's shooting at them right now. But uh, the Blue Hawks will be in the playoffs. And uh, at 8-5, and five, uh, hopefully they can get to that 10-5 and five and move up and maybe host a first-round match. And I just want to, again, go to back to the uh, Portsmouth Herald. Uh, Terrell Covey had the uh, surprise standout players on Seacoast Seco High School girls lacrosse. And some of the girls on the list from right around here in the Seacoast area include Maggie Berry of Dover, their freshman goalie. Uh, let's see, Mackenzie Cook from Oyster River, a midfielder. Uh, Catherine Dornan, St. Thomas Aquinas, a midfielder. And uh, let's see, who else have we got here on the Seco Spalding, uh, Lily Hunt, a midfielder. And I know, oh, yeah, here it is. Skyla Mace, when a kind of freshman midfielder. Uh, Annie Parker, who's a sophomore attacker from Portsmouth High. And let's round it out with Allie Roeder from Exeter High School. And she is a midfielder and a junior for the Blue Hawks. Senior night for the boys. That will be the last home game of the season on Friday the 20th against Bedford, the Bulldogs. And that'll be a seven o'clock start. So hope to see a lot of folks there. Let's just wrap up. Let's just wrap up tennis because tennis is coming down to the home stretch right now. Uh, the Exeter Blue Hawk boys tennis team in the middle of the pack right now. It's six and five. Hanover and Bedford are undefeated. 
So again, in boys tennis, there is a different playoff situation in that there's individual matches in the playoffs and there are team matches in the playoffs. So as we get into June, we'll sort all that out for you and let you know how the Blue Hawk boys are doing, but they will be there for that. And the Blue Hawk girls are close to the top right now in tennis. They're at nine and two. Uh, they're chasing uh, Derryfield at 12 and 0, Dover at 11 and 0, and Bedford at 10 and 2. So the girls' tennis team will also be in the playoffs coming up in a couple of weeks. So it's going to be a busy time over at uh, Exeter High as we get closer and closer to playoff time. Again, first round games usually at the highest seed uh, in the playoffs. Uh, and when you get to the semifinals and the finals, you move to different sites. Um, maybe we should just go to that Sherm right now and just highlight. Uh, this again, lacrosse will uh, playoff games will be at Bill Ball Stadium. Uh, as we mentioned in the boys lacrosse, the semifinals in Division One will be on June eighth at five o'clock and seven fifteen. And then the big day in boys lacrosse is going to be Sunday, June twelfth, when all three division finals will be at Bill Ball Stadium. The Division Three final will be at two thirty. The Division Two final will be at five o'clock and the division one final fingers crossed Blue Hawks will be there. Uh, will be at seven 30 on Sunday, June 12th. So uh, that is a big, big day for boys lacrosse. Now on the girls side, Exeter will host division one playoffs. Uh, the semifinals in division one will be on Saturday, June 4th at five and seven o'clock. And then the finals in division one girls will be, on Tuesday, June 7th at 7 o'clock. So plenty of lacrosse action coming up in the first two weeks of June over at Bill Ball Stadium. Anything on UNH that you have? or I think right now, they just want to get through graduation right now. Yeah. <laughs> Wrapping. I think, I think everybody over in the UNH athletic department right now is kind of just taking a deep breath and just saying, okay, we got through the year. We didn't have a lot of cancellations. We got through seasons okay. COVID didn't cause a lot of disruptions. 2022, spring and fall of 2021-22 has been pretty good. And now it's on forward to uh, September 1st and that first football game uh, coming up for uh, Ricky Santos and the Blue Hawks. Uh, check that. UNH football team uh, against, again, just double checking, against Monmouth on Thursday, September 1st. And we, we compared schedules of the uh, Wildcats and the Blue Hawks, and there are no conflicts this year that we could see, right? There are not. There are not. I mean, you know, maybe we should just quickly run through that if people want to mark their calendars. Um, we can take a look at those, that schedule right now. Uh, the first week of September will be a double header for you and I, Sherm. We'll be on Thursday night, the first, we'll be at UNH for Monmouth. And then on Friday night, the second, first game, for the Blue Hawks, they will host Portsmouth. That's a good good game to start. Always start off the season. Good game. Very good game. And then the next weekend, um, a little bit of a wrinkle in the schedule. How about uh, September 10th, which is a Saturday at one o'clock? The Blue Hawks are going to play Champlain Valley Union High School from Vermont. I mean, I mean, uh, somewhere somehow there's open dates and schedules, and that usually doesn't happen with the with the nine or ten team field. But it did happen this year. Yeah, it was an interesting matchup. The next week on the 17th of September, which is a Saturday night, we go back to UNH and we're going to take on a new team in um, the uh, the league, North Carolina Central, six o'clock at Wildcat Stadium. So uh, uh, we'll be uh, looking forward to seeing that game. And then we have a week off. 
And in fact, we have two weeks off, <laughs> the weekend of the 23rd, 24th, and the 30th and the 1st of October. No local games, but then it starts to get busy again. On October 7th, uh, we'll host Bedford at Bill Ball Stadium, and that's always going to be a challenge when the Bulldogs come to town. And then uh, Stony Brook will be over at UNH at 3.30 in the annual homecoming game uh, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, so it looks like you and I are going to have, uh, that's another doubleheader. And then a week after that, we have another doubleheader where we have Friday night at Bill Ball Stadium against Spalding. And then the next day at one o'clock, Elon will come to Wildcat Stadium. And then on September 28th, the Blue Hawks host Manchester Memorial. And then on November 12th, UNH will take on Rhode Island at one o'clock at Wildcat Stadium. So that's your high school and UNH football schedules coming up. You know, it's funny because I had somebody uh, come up to me. We were up at the uh, Bill Ball Stadium doing the lacrosse interview a couple of weeks ago. And somebody came up to me and said, what do you think about uh, the Wildcats this year? And I said, you know, from what Sam and I saw in, in a little preseason game, they do the, the spring game. I said, the team is not, it's not a rebuilding year. Rick Santos has, has the program under control. He's got the talent there. And he's, I have, I think we're going to have a real good season. I really do. You know, I think a lot of times the voice, the way you do things, the, the little wrinkles here and there can make all the difference in changing things. Uh, when we get to talk about the Celtics, uh, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about the change in head coach and uh, what that has done in, in, in the improvement of the Celtics this year. So I think, uh, I think that's something that everybody's going to watch very closely. Well, let's, let's, let's get there. Uh, we know that the, the Bruins are out. They, they played their hearts out. They got to seven games against Carolina, and it wasn't to be. Uh, but the Celtics, they looked like they were on the precipice of going out. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, I practiced. Right. Giannis you did. You did a good job. Yeah. I I, I, uh, I was on one website and I said, I got to learn how to say this guy's name. And this fellow does it over and over and over. So I kept practicing with him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it went down to seven, but the Celtics came out and played the D they needed to do. And now they're going to be going down to uh, Miami. So what, what's your take on what you saw in that past series and what's coming up? I think anytime you go to seven games, anything can happen. But I think the interesting thing that I enjoyed watching through that whole season was the progression of what is known in Celtics lingo now as the wall. Okay. The Celtics defense in the final three games put up a wall at the foul line so mm -hmm. that because Giannis was just running through them. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know where traveling ever went these days, but it's not in the NBA anymore. And how they're calling offensive fouls this year, I don't know how that's happening right now. I guess the, if I was an NBA official in that series, I would say to myself, if I finish up the season and the offensive fouls are equal on both sides, I've done a pretty good job uh, because mm -hmm. there's no way that you can get them right all the time. There's always some level of some areas that, you know, did he touch him? Was he moving? Was he out of the zone? Was, what was happening? I, you know, the comment that made me chuckle the most was uh, Jeff Van Gundy, who was doing, doing one of the color, one of the color analysts for the broadcast. The game, game seven, when it got into the second period and it was whistle after whistle after whistle. And he just said, this game is getting mucked up. And 
That's exactly the way that I felt. I mean, you know, they were slowing the game down. Every time they went down, there was some sort of penalty going back and forth. And what, as it turned out, it helped the Celtics because it really threw off Giannis. And mm-hmm. his game was off in that game seven. And it was the Celtics defense that threw them off. So whether or not, uh, you know, this, the first game is coming up uh, against Miami and the Miami Heat, uh, they're going to be a formidable opponent. I would, uh, you know, the Heat, the Heat has been the least respected number one seed I've heard of in a long time. I mean, they're the number one seed in the East. But no one's talking about it. Everybody was talking about Milwaukee and the Celtics. What about Miami? What do you? Think? Yeah, I know. Yeah, and then we have that Newcastle connection there too, right? Duncan Robinson, but he's not seeing a lot of playing time. Something's happening to his outside shot. He's he's lost a little bit of it. Uh, but Miami needs three point shooting, so they're going to need him to come off the bench and see what they can do. Okay, here's a proposition: Pritchard versus Duncan. Who do who 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 do you think gets more threes during the uh, upcoming series? Oh, definitely. I think Duncan Robinson is going to if he gets in there, he's going to start firing away. You know, the players yeah. that I worry about, uh, you know, are the are the obvious ones. Uh, Tyler Hero, uh, six, top six man in the NBA this year. If he gets hot, I don't know how you're going to stop him because he can hit from anywhere, anywhere on the court. And uh, you know, that's someone that you're going to really have to watch out. And for Miami. You know, I like Spolstra as a coach. I think he does a good job. I think he works his players in well. Uh, and, you know, again, Miami is going to have the home court advantage. That's why this game one is so important. If the Celtics could steal a game, they need to steal a game down in Miami to be able to go. But as I said earlier, um, Ime Odoka for the Celtics, you know, that's a case of a new guy coming in, Brad Stevens moving up to the general manager's spot. Udoka coming in. And just that different voice in the locker room, just that different voice in the huddle, it mm-hmm. does affect the players. And, and, and I think they respond to that. And, uh, you know, I think Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart, you know, you've got, you've got that three-headed monster. You always need three people to win a championship, okay? Whether it was Garnett, Pierce, and Allen, okay? You've got to have three people. Yeah. And I think Smart, Tatum, Tatum and Brown – can fill the bill in that area. But the guy that, to me, is the MVP, he's the glue. He keeps those other three in check. Like like uh, Cedric Maxwell said the other night on, on uh, Channel 4, that, you know, he he's the guy that uh, watches over the kids, Al Horford. Big Al. You know? Big Al He Horford. takes care of them. He, he tucks them in at night. He makes sure that, they, you know, they, they're, they're going to be focused. And he did. I mean, I think <laughs> he knows this could be his last hurrah. And, and he wants to get as deep as he can. And, and I'm sure they'd love to go see uh, Golden State. But uh, that, now, if he gets that far on the west side, do you think uh, mm, well, it's going to be okay? You saw Luka Doncic play this week, past weekend when they Dallas uh, when uh, Dallas knocked out um, Phoenix. Phoenix uh, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, you, you scratch your head, you sometimes say, can one person win a championship? And again, that's Dallas. You know, can one person can one person win that championship? And maybe he's the one who could do it. Um, yeah. You know, Golden State is just too loosey goosey for me. They 
they look like they play like they don't care for three quarters. And then they decide in the fourth quarter, okay, let's go out and win this. And Steph Curry goes out and hits like five three-pointers in the fourth right, quarter. Right, right. That's about yeah. it. So, you know, I'm not a big Golden, I'm not a big Golden State fan. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely, I'm feeling right now that the winner of the championship in the NBA is going to come out of the East. So are you going to have more for your two-minute drill on this or what? No, I have something else. And, okay, all right. You know, we probably, go that, we probably go that other way. Talk about that all other right. team. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll go there. But first, I want to throw around a couple other things. Uh, big news in the broadcasting business. Drew Brees out at NBC, and I think he thought he was going to get the box game. His contract was not renewed. Uh, I, I think part of it was that he was playing uh, double agent. He was looking at that Fox job, the the, the uh, commentator on the A-team for uh, Fox when both uh, Buck and uh, Aikman went to ESPN. So uh, Kevin Burkhart is going to be the play-by-play guy on the A-team for Fox this year. But now it's been announced, whenever he decides, whenever he decides he wants to do it, Tom Brady can be the color commentator on the A-team for Fox. And uh, it'll only cost him $375 million in 10 years. It's a bargain. Bargain. I, well, you know what surprised me on that? I sincerely thought CBS would make a play. I, I, I'm sorry, Tony Romo doesn't float my boat. I know a lot of people like Tony Romo, but you know, he's, he, he just doesn't do anything for me. So I would have said that if I was CBS, let's, and they do have a tie via the Patriots and all that jazz, whatever he wants, put him with, uh, and Jim Nance is in there now, but who knows for how long, uh, build it around. But anyway, Fox got, got it in the auction. So congratulations, Tom, <laughs> we, 375 mil. Uh, let's talk quickly about the Kentucky Derby. I know you, you, you like that race. Uh, I, I assume you were sipping on a julep and wearing a fashionable chapeau, uh, watching the race, but you were kind of surprised by the end, I assume. Oh, I think, I think everybody was, I thought epicenter coming down the middle of the track had it won. And then a great ride, a great ride on uh rich strike. And, uh, you know, 79 to one comes in and beats everybody in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, that's just an amazing, amazing ride. Um, and again, the, the from a from a horse racing perspective, that first half was too fast. It mm. was too fast. They 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 went for like 46 seconds in that first half. And there was just nothing left for those other horses in rich strike, saved ground, stayed along the rail, did a mind that bird, came right through and and was able to pull off the winner. Well, Preakness coming up this weekend. Who are you picking on oh, that one? Again, it's going to be epicenter again. I mean, I would think that uh, I would I would think that with the strange field of all these other horses, it's always weird because you don't. Everybody focuses on who's in the Derby, but now a lot of outsiders come into these second and third races. You don't know what's going to happen. I think Rich Strike will go to the Belmont, maybe with a mile and a half, might have some more left. I think the owners were quite smart not to race them too two races in a row, give this horse a break. Um, you know, trying to do three races in six weeks, you, you don't no. want to do you don't want yeah, to do I think lightning was going to strike three weeks and three races in a row. Well, again, let's talk about baseball for a minute, Sherman. What do you say? Okay. Okay. We've got our beloved Boston Red Sox who uh at the time of this broadcast uh, are not in last place in the American League East. They're a half a game ahead of the Baltimore Orioles. Um now, there's two ways to look at this. One is the Red Sox are at 14 and 21. Um, certainly uh, an awful first month and a half of the season. But on the other hand, you've got the Yankees at 26 and nine. 
Okay, they, they just run out. So all of a sudden, you've got to scrap your plans now and just think wild card. That's all you got to worry about right now. Don't think about winning the American League East. You've got to think about wild card. And you have to think about the Red Sox schedule where they have the next two weeks. They have a number of games at home before they go out west. So they need to uh, they need to go on a little run here. Nice 10 and four, nine and five run before they head out to the West Coast. Um, my two minute drill comes basically on the fact that. The Red Sox need some pitching. And again, we're, we're a couple, still a couple of months away from the trade deadline. And a lot of talk about Xander Bogats right now, about whether or not he is going to resign. He said he's opened the door now to possibly negotiating during the season. That is a, a positive sign that he wants to stay with the Red Sox. Um, the Red Sox made him an offer of $22 million a year, and he was in, he was where Carlos Correa and other shortstops are getting in the mid thirties. And he was socially embarrassed by that. So the Red Sox are going to have to up their ante uh, at 30 years old. Should they do it? Um, the question is that that bullpen is in such bad shape right now. Do you put a lot of money into a shortstop right now, or do you put it into pitching? I guess I'm just going to have to close my eyes and take a deep breath and say, Go get some pitching. Uh, don't worry about the offense right now. Um, you can do that because with the with the dead ball right now and the things that are happening, people teams aren't scoring runs anymore. You got to get that pitching. You got to go out and do something. So if you're going to spend some money, you better trade for some pitching that's available at the deadline. And if you're out of it at the end of July, then you need to move Bogarts. Um, and you need to move uh, a couple of other players with him to get some pitching. So uh, I'm all into pitching now, Sherm, and that's 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 where I am. Well, and the only thing I'm going to say about the pitching situation, not only just for the Red Sox, but fantasy baseball. You know, oh, yeah, oh, and I'm not even going to. That's not my two minute draw. I just want to say that um, you can't count on pitching anymore. I mean, you could have all the name brands, whether it's uh, Jake DeGrom, uh, uh, anybody, just name name some of the top 10 pitchers. They go out for a while, whether it's from just, you know, the arm goes tired or uh, they hurt themselves some other way, like last night uh, in the game against Houston, uh, uh, what was it, Artorizzi, uh hurt himself, fell off the mound, basically, you know, he came off the mound and, and hurt himself. So, I, I I agree. We need pitching. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to put a lot of money into pitching. I'd rather bring up a lot of kids from the farm, be grooming a lot of kids in the farm and giving them a chance. You know, this is your big chance kid. The Whitlock is a uh, Whitlock is a good example of that. You know, uh, how so far has been eh. uh, a lot of these guys, they bring back our retreads. Uh, you know, it just, it doesn't work out. I mean, it just, I, I would not, uh, Chris Sale, good example. Now we've put a lot of money into that particular plot. And we're getting nothing for it, you know? So yeah, you gotta, if you're going to put money into pitching, uh, uh, you know, for the farm system. Yeah. Maybe I'll agree with you. Is Hyam Bloom's plan a long-term run here that I want to get more draft picks. I want to load up my farm system. We're going to have some lean years because we're not going to spend a lot of money on pitching. And that's going to happen. So, you know, I, I, I guess I've got to support the long. If the long term plan is to improve the pitching staff, I'm all for it. You know, I don't want to I don't want to spend 
I don't want to spend three hundred million dollars on Xander Bogarts. I don't. I don't. I agree there. I don't want to spend a lot of money on any of them. I don't care, position player or pitcher. I'm saying that I'd rather put that three hundred mil and spread it out over you know uh, six, five, whatever they can afford for kids coming up, and really groom them and give them a shot. I mean, what the heck? You know, there's a there's a talent out there somewhere that that you know we'll hear about a couple of kids that uh, we were supposed to see already. Go back to fantasy baseball. I guess a kid named Baz that pitches for Tampa Bay. First week of the season, he hurt his arm, so now he's out until at least the All Star break. So you know, there's a lot of talent out there, but these kids are are pushing too hard to get up to the majors. So they got to groom these kids slowly and bring them up. My two minute uh, drill. I just wanted to mention the uh, passing of uh, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, uh, Patriots, Boston Patriots, uh, and of course that's Gino Capaletti. Um, yeah, the Duke. Uh, all of us who remember those thrilling days of yesteryear with the Boston Patriots, and, and he and Babe Perilli and a, and a few of those guys that were, you know, the stars that, that we remember from our, you know, and it, and it's uh, sad he's passing uh, last week, and uh, you know he uh, was on with Gil Santos for years doing the broadcast, and it was always fun listening to him. When I was a uh, when I was a junior and senior in high school. Uh, 1966, 1967, um, we had season tickets to the Boston Patriots. And we used to sit out, our tickets were out by the pesky pole, okay? So you can imagine, again, if you figure out Fenway, the football field went from the third base dugout out to the bullpen. That was the football field with seats on the first base side, and they put grandstands over in front of the Green Monster. And, uh, you know, watching Babe Perilli and Gino Capaletti and Ron Burton and Larry Garen and, uh, you know, all the Mike D and all those types of guys, uh, Bob D, excuse me, Bob D playing for the Patriots. Um, you know, it was just it was just a lot of fun when, you know, they go up against the Denver Broncos and Cookie Gilchrist and uh, people like that uh, just brings back a lot of memories. I felt bad for Steve Burton when he was doing uh, the obituary for Gino on Channel 4 and you could see that, you know, his family uh, knew Gino very, 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 very well with his dad and stuff like that. And so uh, uh, it's a tough loss for the Patriots. And, you know, and then we lost Gil Santos, you know, years ago. So, uh, you know, that was a, that was a legendary broadcasting. It was. And, uh, you know, they don't make them like that anymore. And uh, one of the founding founding fathers of the Patriot team. So I hate to see guys like that go. They put out the 2022 uh, Patriots schedule. Uh, the Patriots are going to open up on Sunday, September 11th at Miami uh, against the Dolphins. So we'll see what the status of uh, our young tight end is at, uh, going along with the Miami Dolphins these days with Hunter Long uh, in that situation. But there are some key dates in the Patriots schedule that I thought were interesting. One is the Patriots are going to play on Thanksgiving at night. Thanksgiving night, they're going to play at Minnesota against the Vikings. They're going to play Christmas Eve, a Saturday game at home against Cincinnati. And they're going to play on New Year's Day this year, which is a Sunday. And they will host the Miami Dolphins. Um, the biggest wrinkle in the schedule that people are looking to right now is that the Pats will have four. They're going to have five primetime games, but four of them are going to be all in a row. They're going to play on November 24th, Thanksgiving at Minnesota at 8.20. They're going to play on Thursday, December 1st against Buffalo at home at 8.15. On Monday, December 12th, they're going to be at Arizona at 8.15. And on Sunday, December 18th, they're going to be at the Las Vegas Raiders at 8.20. Um, so uh, 
four night games in a row. Um, again, Thursday night games are going to be on Prime Video this year. Uh, I would think that they're probably going to get the games on local TV, a local TV station, so that if you don't have Prime Video, you probably will still be able to see it. I don't think, I don't think we brought it up. Just you know, quickly, uh, on an A through F basis, the draft, what was your take on the Patriots draft? I think I think getting an offensive lineman made a lot of sense. You know, I don't want to get Mac Jones killed. So, I mean, I think you've got to really work on that. The biggest thing I'm concerned about about the Patriots right now is you've got all these retread coaches coming back in. Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, you know, is it going to work? You know, or is just Bill Belichick putting the band back together to hang out with these guys again? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's the wisest move in the world. world. You know, one thing I would say about the draft, and I watch a lot of the uh, so-called experts after the fact, you know, say what a lousy draft the Patriots had. They didn't have any real uh, wow factor. But on the other hand, you got to give Belichick credit. I think he knows talent, and he he knows picking something out of that draft is like lightning in a bottle. Um, He's better off saving it the time and effort and going after somebody who's got a little, maybe a little mileage on them. I'll tell you right now, you can, you can mark this down. Patriots send Jarrett Stidham to the Los Angeles Raiders and elevate Mr. Zappi to the backup right now. And you watch out for him from Western Kentucky. I've watched a couple of those games and this guy can put up points. You want a mobile fast quarterback back there? Brady Zappi. Okay. You watch. I want to just remind folks that uh, you can check out the the Seacoast Sports Forum podcast and all the major platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and the home home base is Podbean. Uh, The Seacoast Sports Forum YouTube page is where to go to catch all the video editions of the program. And make sure, whether you're on the the podcast or YouTube, to to subscribe. You get notice of the upcoming presentations. And uh, questions, comments, always welcome. SeacoastSportsForum at Yahoo.com. So that's it. On behalf of Sam Bruno, this is Sherm Chester, inviting you to join us on our next edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum.